Thank you, Pastor Susie, for keeping us on track with some good things. And I just want to say uh, Happy New Year to you. I don't think I've gotten to say that officially to you before, and I hope that the New Year doesn't feel old to you already. I mean, it's been seven days, so most of America has already given up on any New Year's resolutions, and uh, that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to give up on the whole new year, but I do want to say Happy New Year to you, and just want to say thank you for being an awesome church. I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of this church, and uh, we got to celebrate that and see that a little bit on Christmas Eve. I want to thank you for making what can easily be just a very self-focused and worldly moment, building that around Jesus with your devotion, um, inviting people to come experience the presence of God. You know, we had almost 1,800 people on this campus on Christmas Eve, and that's kind of amazing to me. I'm kind of like, wow, that's a big deal, and that's because not only did you come and and build your family's holiday around worship, but you invited people to come and experience Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And I also want to say thank you to those of you that have kind of just borne with us through the whole parking lot project that is now coming closer to an end. You know, it's been kind of a war zone out there, and Um, You never know on any given Sunday, like what ditch are they going to make me park in this Sunday? But you guys survived it, you're here, and now you get to drive onto a smooth parking lot, so thank you. We're getting closer to the end of that project, but thank you for your your faithful giving. Thank you for your help, those things that Susie talked about with giving. That's what makes this whole place run and work and be a source of hope to our community. And so just appreciate this church and all that you guys do. And as we get into a new year, uh, I just want to remind you that God's not done yet. God's not done yet. And sometimes we need to hear that in the, in the midst of a rough season where we're like, man, I sure hope God's not done yet. If this is where God lands me, this is not, not a good place. God's not done yet. And if you've, you're coming through an exceptional season, it's also true that God's not done yet. Scripture tells us that God is always moving us to a more glorious spot, a more glorious thing that he has in store for us both in this life and in eternity. Now sometimes that's coming through trials, coming through challenges, some of those things that we sang about this morning, but he's not done yet. And as we come into a new year, whether you're a New Year's resolution person or not, I hope that you are a new season person. I hope that you like to say, you know what, I'm going to reevaluate how the last season went and I'm going to pick some things that I need to lean more into And I'm going to say no to some things that maybe shouldn't have been a part of my life in the first place. You know, a new year, a new season is a great time to reorganize and reprioritize your life and say, where is God leading me and what kind of person do I want to be a year from now? If you are one of those people that you're like, I'm just going to like float along through the current of life and see where I end up, don't be driftwood. Driftwood is dead wood that doesn't end up in good places, right? Don't be that way. Be intentional and make decisions about who you're going to be and where you're going to end up. And I have some recommendations for you about what Jesus has for you because I think he's got the best corner on the market of how to live and, and where to go. But as I mentioned to you last week, sometimes saying yes to the right things means you have to start with no. Right, if we're gonna say yes to some of the things that God has for us, I found uh, that I can't just keep fitting more and more things in my life. I can't fit more and more things in my mind or in my heart. We are people of a limited capacity. And so if you wanna say yes to the good things that God has in store for you, get ready because he's gonna ask you to say no to some other things. And often he has to say no to the most damaging things in our lives 
first. We're going to have to start with no. And last week, uh, we, we talked about this idea of a, a tug of war. We talked about the fact that in our lives, especially as Christians, there's always this tension pulling us in a couple of different directions. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 is one of the many scriptures in the Bible that describes that tension. And it says that letting your sinful nature control your mind. Nobody wants their mind to be controlled. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Now that's where we want to end up, right? We want to end up at life and peace. And remember, we we talked about the fact that in all of us as Christians, when God comes and we give our lives to Jesus... He resurrects, just like Jesus' body was resurrected, Jesus' spirit comes into us. When we say, I'm putting my trust in Jesus, his spirit comes in and resurrects what we call the spiritual nature. And at one end of my tug of war rope last week was Tina representing our spiritual nature that's always saying, hey, God has more for you. Come this way. The Spirit's always inviting us deeper. It's never demanding, never screaming at us, but always saying, hey, there's something better for you this way. It's always leading us closer to the plan that God has always had for you since the creation of the world. But on the other side, there is what Pastor Shannon most accurately represented, which is our sinful nature. Pastor Shannon is the closest thing I could find to a sinful nature. I mean, other than what's inside of me all the time. And our sinful nature, it it has a little bit different tone. The sinful nature is also talking about more, but it's saying, you need more. You have to have more. More food, more pleasure, more fun, more money, more house, more car, more of what the world says you want, more of what your body says you want, more, more, more. And our sinful nature really acts like a spoiled three-year-old which is why most adults in our society act like a spoiled three-year-old. Because most of us are driven by this. This is the loudest voice in our minds, and the Bible says that if we let that mind control us, where do we end up? Death. We end up dead. First of all, spiritually, then emotionally and relationally, and eventually physically dead. We don't wanna follow the sinful nature But the reality of the Christian life is not that when Jesus saves us, he just eradicates that. Because he has a purpose even for this broken body, this broken life, in this broken broken world. Until he resurrects and saves and roots out everything connected to death, he has a purpose for us living here in this tension. But we live in this tension between which things do we say yes to. And on the one hand, we follow the demands of our culture and our bodies to what seems to give us the most joy and pleasure. And on the other hand, we follow the promises of God to what God says is going to lead us to flourishing. Things like prayer and fasting, like we're talking about. Our body does not like fasting, but it makes room for our spirit to flourish. Right? Things like Sabbath. Sabbath means we say no to some of the things on our busy calendar. We say no to the go, go, go all the time to say yes to some spiritual rest and say, I'm going to make space for God to speak to me. Right? We say, we have to say no sometimes to all of the, the nonsense and entertainment that we pack our brains with to say yes to the word of God in our lives. We have to say no to isolation and the feelings of insecurity or arrogance that separate us from people in order to say yes to community and being a part of the family of God. 
There's this constant back and forth of saying no to the wrong things to say yes to the right things. And we have to get used to the fact that we have to say no to those wrong things in order to say yes to the right things. You can't just tolerate them all and hope everything works out in the end. It doesn't. The louder voice, if you tolerate it, will always win the day. Instead of the, blood, the, the, better, bore, the, excuse me, the better voice. But I've found that sometimes when I'm living in this tension, right? When you're living in this tension, sometimes you're like, gosh, which voice is which? Do you ever feel that way? You're like, I, is this the Holy Spirit leading me or is this my sinful, like what? God, I'm trying to hear God, but which way do I go? You know, even you talk about spiritual things like prayer and fasting, that can be taken to an unhealthy extreme. Because the sinful nature, when it realizes it can't get you to indulge in pleasure, it's like, yeah, you better fast. You haven't fasted enough. You better fast more. If you're not punishing yourself, if you are not in physical pain, then you're not spiritual. And do you know what that is? That's the voice of spiritual pride that actually is at this end of the ladder saying, you know what, if you were spiritual enough, you could be really proud of yourself. You'd be better than everybody else. So fast more, hurt yourself, and then brag about it. Sometimes that sounds like a spiritual voice at first. Like, yeah, I need to be more radical, more intense. I'm not good enough. But is that the, spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes Sabbath, you know, we're trying to rest and we're like, you know what? You need to, I need to rest in God. I need to rest more. And you know, the sinful nature loves to get a hold of that one. Like, yeah, you need to rest. In fact, you should call in sick to work again today because you need to rest. <laughs> you should tell your wife you cannot help around the house because you need to rest. You are too tired to read your Bible. You cannot get up and go to church today. You need to rest in the Lord. And Jesus is like, do not pin my name on that. Right, do you see though, my point in this is these are simple things that sometimes in the tension of trying to discern God's voice, things get a little blurry. And, and take that into a relational context where we're constantly interpreting relationships and seeing people and all of a sudden things can get really blurry. What does it mean to love somebody? What does it mean to, to have integrity? What does it mean in my business relationships, my family relationships? What does it look like to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit? And I think that sometimes we live uh, like I did when I was in, in third grade. I remember being put in a seating chart at the back corner of the classroom away from my friends. I don't even know why they put me in a seating chart, but I was right next to the teacher's desk, and I remember when she was teaching, I still remember always like squinting at the board, and I'd be like, hey, can I, can I scoot up to, I can't read the board, and she thought I was just trying to get closer to my friends, but I really couldn't see the board. So after a couple of failed tests, she was like, maybe you can't see the board, and I'm like, I've been telling you this. And she told my parents, hey, you should probably go get his eyes checked. And they did, and they found out that I have really bad eyesight. So I wear contacts basically dawn to dusk every day because I can't hardly see. Like, I wouldn't recognize my wife in bed next to me without my contacts. Like, I'm like, is that you over there? Tell me the truth, you know? She plays tricks on me. It's not nice. I just can't see. I'm a pretty blind person. But I still remember, I still remember when they, they brought me out my glasses and these are fake ones because with my contacts, I'd get a headache and pass out and it'd be weird. But these are fake glasses. But I still remember the first time they gave me glasses made to my prescription and I put them on and I still remember thinking, 
I didn't know there were like lines to everything. Like there's details everywhere. I have this vivid memory of the first time that I wore my glasses out onto the playground at recess. You know, like third grader memory. Like what do you care about? Recess. So I remember going out onto the playground and I was kind of like, oh, I can see the leaves on the trees. I remember being able to see people's facial expressions instead of just kind of like recognizing the, the, the profile of someone coming towards me. I was like, oh, I can tell by their face. They're not happy with me yet. <laughs> I just remember so much of life came into vivid detail and I now could kind of see what was going on. I could read what my teacher was putting on the board so I could pass the test. I could see people's facial expressions so I could now read nonverbal signs. I could see the detail in the world around me and saw how beautiful certain things were that were just kind of colorful blobs in my vision before. I didn't realize what I was missing out on before I had those corrective lenses. And I think that so often we live, sometimes even as Christians, we live with that same blurred vision. We live in a world that's, that's kind of this big mix, a lot of lies that kind of confuse us and we're not always sure where to get our bearings. We're not sure who we can trust. We're not sure what voices are telling the truth. I mean, now we, we, we have the ability of going straight to the source of truth, Google. <laughs> Until you find that there's about 19,000 options of what the truth is. Right? Until you find that depending on what perspective someone wrote the article from, it may or may not be true. I just burst somebody's bubble. They're like, wait, it's not always true on Google? Right? We live in a world where there's so many different opinions, it can be really hard to know what, what, is, actually, what is actually true. And, and Jesus kind of gave us a pathway through that. Jesus gave us a set of corrective lenses that if we use, we can clearly discern which end of the rope is tugging at us and we can walk in the right way. But Jesus addressed this in, in several places, but one of them was in John chapter 8, Verse 31 and 32, Jesus was speaking to a mixed audience, and I'm not going to read the whole passage of John chapter 8, but he said this profound statement. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus said to the people who what? who believed in him. He said to some people that believed in him, if you are truly my disciples, which means that you could believe a few things about Jesus and not actually be a disciple of Jesus. That's a scary thought, by the way. Because often we say this, we say because God's grace is so great, because the work of Jesus on the cross was so sufficient to cover our sins if we'll let him, because the power of Jesus at the resurrection is so powerful to raise us from the dead and, and say to, that, that we can get into eternity, sometimes we oversimplify the message of Jesus to just say, if you just say, I believe in Jesus those magic words will make sure that you end up in heaven and you can do whatever you want the rest of your life. Many, of, many people have gone to church for many years believing that. If I just kind of give 
my, the tip of my hat to Jesus, if I just give Jesus a nod every now and then just to say, I believe in you, everything's gonna work out okay. And while there's some truth to the fact that God's grace for you is incredibly sufficient, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're only actually my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Now what I wanna say here is that the grace of Jesus is for the moments when we fail to remain faithful to his teaching. It's the moments that the tug of the rope gets the better of us and we kind of give in in a weak moment, a tired moment. We give in to something we probably knew we shouldn't have. We give in to something and we found out later it was the wrong direction and we got fooled a little bit. We give in to those feelings of unforgiveness. We give in to those feelings of bitterness and we let that dictate the outcome of a relationship. The grace of Jesus covers that so that one fail or countless fails don't mean that we have no access to God. But Jesus said, if you really wanna be my follower, you don't just like let that end of the rope tow you where it wants to go. He said, if you're truly my disciples, you will remain faithful to my teachings. What are Jesus' teachings? It's his word. His actual word that we read in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then his teachings are the teachings of the Holy Spirit spoken through his apostles in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well, right? The Bible is Jesus's teachings. When he said, these are my teachings, he was talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. He said, if you're gonna be my disciple, you're gonna, you're gonna be faithful to my teachings. Now, there's a lot in the Old Testament that has to be interpreted through the lens of the New Testament as Christians, but the question is, are we faithful to his teachings? If we are faithful, if we keep coming back, what does it mean to be faithful? It means that you keep coming back. If I'm faithful to my wife, I keep coming back to my wife. I don't go to other people. I don't walk away. I don't, the minute things get hard, give up on her. I don't, I, I'm faithful to my wife by persevering in the hard times and celebrating in the good times. And our relationship with God's word should be the same. We should persevere in it when we're having a hard time understanding and we should celebrate it when the word of God is so clear to us and so good to us. The question is, do we keep coming back to the Bible when it tells us something we don't wanna hear? when it tells us we should do something in obedience to God that we don't feel like doing, that might even cost us something, that might even as a mature Christian cause you to take up your cross like Jesus did. Ugh. Will we stay faithful to it then? Are you faithful to it now when things are easy in your life? Are you faithful to God's word or are you just doing life how you want and Jesus... I believe in you, so get me into heaven, right? Well, it's a little bit even bigger than that. Not only is that required to be truly Jesus' disciple, but it says, and if you are faithful to Jesus' teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're faithful to Jesus' teachings, Jesus through his word, gives you a corrective lens to see the world and to actually understand who you are and what's happening in this world and what life is all about. How many voices in your life are happy to tell you what's actually going on in the world? 
How many voices that you welcome? The Bible says that our itching ears want another voice to say, tell me how to interpret this political situation. Tell me how to interpret this economic situation. Tell me how to interpret this relational situation. But behind those itching ears is a sinful nature that says, tell me what I really want to hear so that I can feel good about my rage or I can feel good about my pleasure and never feel guilty about it. The Bible says, oh, that's actually sinful. The Bible says that's not the way to do it. Those voices are just stroking my sinful nature. Those voices are not actually the voice that I should be listening to. The Bible gives us this lens to say, oh, that's what the Spirit sounds like. Oh, the Spirit sounds like humility. The Spirit sounds like surrender. The Spirit sounds like obedience. The Spirit sounds like I don't do whatever my body or emotions want me to do. I do what the Holy Spirit calls me to do. And here's the crazy thing, the thing that we have a hard time believing. When we live this way, when we live this way, where does it lead? Life and peace. It leads to freedom. Jesus said, if you'll be faithful to my teaching... You will know the truth. Oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. And the truth will set you free. Do you know there were other things that happened when I got corrective lenses? Instead of my mom saying, hey, Caleb, um, you know, are, are you gonna like clean your face and do your hair? And I'm like, what? I look fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. Instead of my sister saying, are you really gonna wear that out of the house? I'm like, what, I look fine. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll change, I'll go change. When we put on the, the lens of scripture, instead of me saying, well, everybody not liking me is their fault, not my fault. Oh, I guess there's a few things I could change. Well, all the problems in my life, if God really wanted to change them, why doesn't he just change them? Oh, he has given me everything I need for life and godliness, but I haven't used it. Right, when we start living according to the word, we get a lens that suddenly helps us see accurately the problem isn't whether God's word works. The problem is sometimes we would rather live in ambiguity. Sometimes we don't like what we see much less the responsibility that comes with it. The bottom line is that Jesus' teaching is the only way to freedom. We might not like the obedience on the way there, but we sure like the life and peace on the other side. His way is the only way to freedom because it's the ultimate truth in a world full of lies. And you might say, Caleb, what are you, the world of lies, what are you talking about? Sounds like a movie title. The world of lies. Well, Jesus told us later in that same passage who the star of that movie is. In John chapter 8, 44, after arguing with a bunch of religious people who thought they knew the truth, and Jesus was pointing out to them, you don't actually know the truth. You don't have your glasses on. Jesus said this to explain what was going on. In John 8, 44, the second part of it, it says, he, speaking of the devil, has always hated the truth 
because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, that's the devil, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you remember what the first human sin was? The first human sin was the result of believing a lie. A lie about God. A lie about what God had said. A lie about the little bit of teaching that God had given humanity so far. The first sin came as a result of a lie about that piece of teaching. And every human sin since has also been rooted in a lie. See, our sinful nature wants all these things it shouldn't want. We want more. I want more pleasure. I want more fun. I want more money. I want more of what everybody else has. I want more of what my culture says. I want it. Why do you want it so bad? Most of us never even see or realize that there's a voice over here saying, you want it. You need it. You deserve it. You should have it. And if God loves you, he won't keep it from you. It sounds a lot like a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And do you remember what the result of that sin was? Death entered the world. Brokenness entered the first human relationship. Brokenness and separation between humanity and God, between husband and wife, death that separated them from God forever if God didn't take any action. And who was the only winner? The whisperer. And Jesus said he's the father of lies. Lies is what he does. It's who he is. It's how he works. It's the weapon that he has. And in some ways, it's a powerful weapon. Unless you know the truth. Because there's nothing to diffuse a lie like the truth. The unfortunate reality is that sometimes we like the lies because they sound more fun. They sound better. They line up with a body that has only known sin. They line up with a soul that has only known a sinful world. And, and the lies begin to make sense in this world that is built on lies. And that's why the weapon that God has given us is nothing more and nothing less than the truth of God's word. And I remember as a young Christian being like, God, couldn't you have given us something a little better than a book? Like, come on, reading's boring. Books are boring. If this is a spiritual war, it would have been nice to have something other than a book. Like, where's my spiritual bazooka? But interestingly, in one of the passages, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18, a place where it expands on the spiritual war, I'd encourage you to study that, read that, understand that. It gives us some tactics to defend ourselves against the devil, but it only gives us one weapon to offensively attack the devil. Do you know what it is? It's the word of God. And it says that the word of God is the sword, the sword that strikes down the enemy's tactics. Now, how is it a sword? We, we find out in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. Do you know that every time God breathes, something comes to life? God breathed life into a dirt sculpture, and it became a man. 
right? God breathed life into the world and all of a sudden the world became alive. When God speaks, things come to life. And when God speaks his words into existence in a way that is true for every culture, every people group, in every generation, these words, not this book, not this paper, these words, these truths are alive. They were alive before you. They'll be alive after you. They are more alive than you are alive. And you could take all of the book versions of the Bible away. You couldn't actually because people have tried and God doesn't allow it. But you could try to take them all away and God's word is still alive and will be forever. God's word is alive and powerful, but what does it do? This is the scary part. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting where? Cutting the devil's head off? That's the way I'd write it. Like cutting the devil into little tiny pieces and stomping on him? Where does the sword cut? Sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit. Wait, God, that, I have a soul and a spirit. Between joint and marrow, he's talking about a human body. It exposes, why does it have to cut through body, mind, soul, and spirit? It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Ugh. What if the Bible was just like a screen and whoever I held it over, it just magically projected all of your thoughts and desires onto the screen for everyone to see? All of them. Some of you would be like, I am desiring for this sermon to be over right now. <laughs> and my feelings would be really hurt. Others of you would be like, man, I just love Caleb and want to hang out with him all the time. And it would be kind of weird. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Right? Like, what if all of your thoughts and, and desires, I'll tell you what, if mine were up there, I'd be like, I resigned. You're not going to want me to be your pastor anymore. <laughs> right? Because you see some good desires. Hopefully more good than bad, but the bad, oh, the bad desires. Oh, the ugly things that sometimes I want. Oh, the ambition, the pride, the selfishness, the lust, the gluttony, the oh, man, if you all saw what sometimes goes through my head. And if I saw what went through yours, we'd have a hard time being friends after that, wouldn't we? Unless we could acknowledge that we've believed a lie and we're trying to find our way back to what's true. The word of God, <clears throat> just the teachings of Jesus and his spirit throughout the generations, the word of God is the standard of truth that cuts through the facade of all the lies. That somewhere along the line, the, the devil whispered to us, you need that thing. That the Bible says, no, you don't. Somewhere along the line, the devil whispered to us, you want that, that's the best thing for you. 
You have to have that to be happy. You have to have more of that to be happy. Oh, you're not happy yet? You just need more, more, more. And somewhere along the line, we are so exhausted and spent from pursuing the more and never feeling satisfied. And that's when the devil is done with us. He says, okay, now you can just have a double dose of shame for all of your failure and all of your mess. And when you're done with that, you know what I have waiting for you? Death, eternal death with me. Gosh, this just got serious in the new year, didn't it? Meanwhile, the spirit is saying, hey, it's gonna seem hard sometimes, but I'm gonna show you what this life was meant for. Sometimes you're gonna follow Jesus and carrying a cross, which wasn't the fun part of Jesus's mission or ministry, right? But it was worth it. And now Jesus sits on the throne of heaven and earth in glory, just waiting to share it with us. Which one do we want to believe, the lies or the truth? And so often we believe lies thinking they're truth, and this is the lens. This is the way that we know. Is it true or is it not? If it's not in this, if it's not taught by this, if it's not a theme of this, if it's not clear in this, then I would just say you just better be careful building your life on it. Don't build your life on it. The fact is the devil is still lying, isn't he? He's still lying. He's lying to each one of us. He's probably lying to people in this room right now. He's he's lying about how people think about you. He's lying about how you should react to them. He's lying about some of the truth in this message. He's lying about how good you are or bad you are. He's lying about the fact that Jesus loves you. He's lying to you right now, and we've all believed some of those lies somewhere along the way. You know, sometimes they're just little lies that, that we disqualify ourselves. Little lies like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for God. You're not good enough for those people. You're not good enough for that spouse. You're not good enough for that coworker. You're not good enough for that job. Or how about this? You know you haven't been able to stop that sin. You're never gonna be able to stop. You're addicted. You are an addict and nothing will ever change that. How about this one? You're broken. Nobody wants you. You're too broken. If God would have healed you, if God was gonna heal you, he would have healed you by now. There's nothing that can fix you. You are too much of a mess. How about this? God won't help you. You're not like those other people. You're not like those godly people. You're not like those holy people. You're not one of those good people. God doesn't want to help you. What the the pastor's saying is true for them, but it's not true for you. You're not good enough for that. Or how about these? You're ugly. You're stupid. You're a failure. No one's ever gonna love you the way that you wanna be loved. How many of us have heard some of those over the course of our lives? See, the devil's calling somebody to lie to him right now. I can hear it. (laughs) How about the other side? Those are the lies of insecurity, but how about the lies of pride? Like, you're alone and it's all on you. You can't trust anybody else, but you just take care of number one and you're gonna be okay. How How about the lie of you need this, you deserve this. You deserve it more than they deserve it. 
That's one of the greatest lies in our culture right now. You deserve it. You deserve to be more wealthy than 98% of the world and still whine about your bills. You deserve to have a nicer home and more food than 98% of the world and still want a better home and more food. Ooh. Some of us turn those lies into idols and then we get real angry. You don't have to apologize for that. They deserved it. They earned it. Of course you're bitter. Who wouldn't be bitter after somebody did that to you? Forgiveness isn't gonna fix it. You're good. You don't need this. Sound familiar to anybody? This is human existence in a world of lies. How about when Pastor Susie was talking about giving? Oh, all that churches care about is my money. Then please never write another check. Don't give a penny to the church and see how that works out for you. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I really don't care. Go tithe to another church, but tithe for your own benefit, right? How about this? This is a big one. This is a big one. Single people, hear this. This is a lie. You can't be happy if you're single. You need someone to affirm you. You need someone to love you or you will never be happy in this life. You need someone who thinks you're beautiful and you better do whatever it takes to get that person in your life. Whatever it takes to keep them in your life. Do that because without them, you will be miserable. You are nothing and no one else will ever love you. How about this? This one's for the married people. You deserve a better spouse. Someone else would love you better. Someone else would make you happier. How about this one? Your life is a waste. You have hurt more people than you will ever help. You can't make up for what you've done wrong. It would be better off if you're dead. I believe there's people in this room hearing all of those lies. And can I tell you everything that all those statements that I read, the Bible says that they are 100% wrong. None of those things are true about you. They're not true for you. Stop fearing them. Stop loving them. Stop believing them. Stop listening to the whispers of the father of lies who leads you to death. Stop. Stop listening to it. And you know, if you're new with us this morning, you hear some people get excited about that. You know why? Because they, like me, have lived in bondage to those lies. And they know the difference. They know the difference between living in bondage to those lies and then suddenly finding the truth and realizing, I don't have to live that way. I wasn't meant to live that way. Those things are so not true that even just believing they're not true, I'm suddenly, I'm suddenly positioned for life and peace. I'm positioned for freedom. Freedom's a possibility. I didn't know it was possible, but it's possible. But that's the power of the word of God. That's the power that the word does. And I'm gonna call our worship team and I want our prayer team and pastors to come forward because here's the deal. You need to get your glasses on, Christians. You need to get your glasses on. 
And that means that you have to stop being pathetic, worldly versions of Christians. Was that too mean? Pastor Susie, that sounded mean. I didn't mean it mean. But what I do mean is either get in the boat or get out of the boat or on the bus or whatever we say. Get in or out. Be a truly faithful disciple or quit playing around. And here's what I want you to do this year. I want you to make the word of God the center of your life. If you're living in disobedience to the word of God, oh boy. If you're having sex with somebody that you're not married to, you gotta stop. Not because I don't want you to have sex. I want you to have all the sex you can possibly have. But until you do it God's way, it can't be blessed. It will cause more pain than it is causing pleasure. Stop having sex with people you're not married to. Stop looking at pornography, and if you can't stop, get help, because it is destroying, it's literally destroying the way your brain works. You are being turned from a human into an animal. That's what the science says. That's not even the, you don't even need to read the Bible to find that. Stop believing that whoever is the next president of the United States is either going to make or break your life and your success. That's not the kingdom that I live in. Stop believing that your employer and your paycheck are your provider. They're not. They're not. Stop being afraid. Fear is an indicator you've believed a lie somewhere. Here's the thing. I don't know what lies you've believed. I believe lies all the time. I catch myself all the time like, oh, I I believe that lie again? Caleb, you know better. Put your glasses on. Some of you need to just keep your glasses on. Get in the word. When you go out today, you're gonna hear, you're gonna get a Bible memorization plan. Wait, no cheers and clapping. <laughs> Why? Tell me this. Why do we send our kids to kids' programs? We're like, yes, memorize scripture. But we're like, oh man, my brain's too tired for that. Can we Google a scripture? I I know there's a scripture about that, Google it. If your primary access to scripture is Googling it when you need it, that's a bad way to live. I want you to memorize a scripture a week this year. You could use the ones that we're giving you. You could pick your own. Memorize a scripture a week this year. Do it. It's gonna change your life. It will change your life. It'll change your life. Living with glasses on, it'll change everything. But some of us, we can't wait till we have 52 scriptures in our head. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in our church to set us free. What did Jesus say the point of truth is? Freedom. It's not guilt, it's not shame. If you're feeling guilt and shame, that's just the enemy's last ditch attempt at lying you into bondage. You know what freedom looks like? Freedom looks like surrender. Have at it, devil. Have at it, devil. And here's the deal, here's what I can tell you, the freedom that comes, I I, I joked about it, but I can confess to you any sin that I've ever thought, I just don't always think that you can handle it. Because I'm not ashamed anymore. I'm free. Jesus washed me clean. You can have that freedom too. Starts with surrender to Jesus saying I need you and confession removes the isolation where the enemy hurts us.
So I'm gonna ask you to stand this morning and I want you to consider this question as we close today. What lies are you believing or have you believed consistently that need to be submitted to the truth? What lies? I believe the Holy Spirit's pointing some of them out already. They're painful. Some of them are pleasurable. But you know that behind the pleasure, there's more pain waiting. And I wanna ask you to do something just bold. I wanna ask you to come down and confess the lie that you have believed to one of these people on the prayer team. Why would I do that? Because confession gets it out of the darkness and into the light. And these are people of truth. You know what they're gonna do in response? They're not gonna look at you and be like, really? This person over here got a big problem. No, they're gonna, they're gonna say something like, man, I relate to that. And they're gonna pray truth over you. They're gonna bring that lie into the blinding light of the truth and I'll set you up to live in, in truth and live in freedom. I remember the first time I confessed sins to a, a youth leader when I was 17 years old and I thought, this is it. This is where they kick people out of church. And I remember confessing to him and he put his hand on, me sh- on my shoulder and he said, Caleb, I struggle with those same things, but I know the way to freedom. Let me pray for you. And I was like, oh, that's how this works? That's how this works. But I can also tell you right now, here's, the, here's one of the lies the enemy loves to, to say, don't do it, don't go. Do, you, do not let your wife see you walk down to that altar. Don't let the church see you, don't do it, don't do it, it'll be so embarrassing. You should be so ashamed of yourself. You should be so ashamed that you ever believed a lie. Don't do it, it won't help, it won't work anyways. What's, what's Amy gonna pray that's gonna set you free from this lie? Those are lies. So when are you gonna stop believing them and start walking in the truth? So we're gonna worship and as we worship, I want you to pray truth over this room. And where you recognize a lie in your own life, I want you to just come talk to somebody about it. Here's what I absolutely know. We won't have time for this, but 100% of the people in this room probably need to do it. And being sensitive to the spirit is what needs to happen. So worship team, would you lead us? And if you want freedom from bondage, would you come and just say, this is the lie that I'm struggling with. This is the lie, come on right now, come on right now. Don't wait, there's not a perfect moment, there's not a perfect time, this isn't a movie, this isn't a production. Come and get freedom, come and surrender before God. Come and kneel and say, Jesus, I want freedom, I don't want my brain to think like this anymore. I want you to renew my mind, I want you to transform my life. I wanna be who you called me to be, I wanna walk in freedom. And so Father, I pray that you would grant freedom right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would shine the blinding light of your loving truth on every lie that we've ever believed. God, would you help your people walk in freedom today in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Do not walk out of here without getting freedom from that lie. Don't walk out of here without surrendering to Jesus and confessing that lie.